Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit TV show Shark Tank. I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an ass scene on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester. I'm the author of Unite, the four mindset shifts for senior leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author. He's got an amazing radio show. Hello there. My name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia, also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, this guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dolph is a, just an outstanding character, uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry Apjohn, one of those, AKA the strategy man. And if I'm gonna describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need from leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobsled team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co-founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Status, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Burgoff, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life, Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron. Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what 
makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. Hi, I'm Dolph Barron. I am the Dragonist, and I'm your host. So let me please welcome you to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. To find out how you can hire me, Dolph Barron, as a strategist, or for you or your organization, go to DolphBarron.com. Recently, I taught a leadership training entitled Creativity Unleash, during which we address this misconcept of what an artist actually is. Here's something I'm finding myself increasingly curious about these days, the many faces of an artist, and how we can no longer shame creativity if we're going to make a better society, which totally leads me into this binge-worthy episode and my guest, Jeffrey Madoff. Now, he is the author of Creative, uh, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, and this book features insider advice from his amazing interviews with people like Damon John, Tim Ferriss, a couple of people you may have heard of, Randy Zuckerberg, Dave Asprey, uh, Dennis Crowley, and even Roy Wood Jr., which I thought was really cool, and so many others. Jeffrey is the founder of Madoff Productions. It's based in New York City. He's been featured speaker at Wharton School, New York uh, University, uh, North Carolina State, uh, South by Southwest Brazil, Vision Summit, Rise, Barclays Bank Accelerator, uh, XRB Labs, Mastermind Groups, the Google's Next, and so many other things. You can find out more about him at madoffproductions.com and acreativecareer.com. We'll give you more about that later. So right now, ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and help me welcome Jeffrey Madoff! Thank you. Thanks, Doug. That was a great introduction. That was a fabulous introduction. Thank you very much. I'm really glad you're here, mate. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. It will be so good. So before we start, we always start with the same question. What is what do you find yourself curious about these days? I find myself curious about where the world is going. Mm. You know, we are in such a surreal position now. Uh, I'm in the United States, in New York City, to be precise. And, you know, how unfortunate it is that we're in the position that we're in. Uh, and uh, that common sense things like you experience in Canada, that wearing face masks or not wearing them is not a political statement. It's a statement of public health and stopping the spread of disease. So I'm really curious about the state of the world and how did we get to a place where everything has become so weaponized and politicized? Yeah, that's a very interesting point, isn't it? I mean, it's become not just politicized because everything does seem to be a, a, a political statement, but it, it's also become weaponized and can be used against you. I mean, I posted something the other day on which I said, uh, just because I agree with something that somebody I wouldn't vote for said doesn't mean that I've lost my mind. It means I've opened my mind, right? And it's not a political statement. It's like, this is my opinion. This is my choice. But it's like, no, you fit into this, this group now. And that part of our mind that so wants to grab people or grab opinions or grab things and shove them in a box is so 
limited at best is a nice way of putting it. It's just not smart. It doesn't help us. When we lose the desire and ability to talk with each other and to engage with differing opinions that may test our own opinions, mm -hmm. I think we're headed to a very bad, well, I think we are at a very bad place because it's become that polarized. And that's unfortunate. So I'm, I wonder about the future. Yeah. I wonder about, you know, where this nation's health and global health. I mean, who could have imagined it's like out of a science fiction movie what we're going through now. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I think we're at a definite flex point and I, and, you know, I, I talk about um, these points in our lives that are pivotal moments. And I think we are at a pivotal moment, but yeah. pivotal moments don't matter if we're pursuing normal, which a lot of people are, oh, you know, wait until things get back to normal. Normal's over. Pivotal moments give us the opportunity to, to step into choice points. And a choice point is where we say, you know what, this has happened. Now what are we going to do different as opposed to how can we get back to normal? And I'm really hoping that that's what this is. I'm hoping that um in you know it's my it's my opinion i'm hoping that uh even though i wouldn't pick biden for the head of the democratic party uh, as we're recording this um but i'm hoping that he becomes a lincoln meaning that he surrounds himself with people who didn't necessarily agree with him like bernie sanders um like aoc and even like a couple of republicans who might be from the lincoln uh project and just surround himself with people who think in a bigger, more inclusive manner rather than a right-left manner, which is what we've been dealing with. I don't want to see a replacement of the version we have now with the left side of that. It would just be crazy. I agree. I agree. And I think it's uh, somewhat telling who he chose as his vice president mm -hmm. because it's not like they seem the best of friends during the debates. No. And the fact that he took in someone of a differing opinion, to your point, I think yep. may mean that there's going to be vigorous dialogue around a number of issues. Yep. And I'm, I'm hopeful. But you know what phrase you reminded me, what phrase I can't stand is new normal. It's a, it, yeah, it, dri it drives me crazy yep. because new normal, in order for it to be a normal of any sort, it has to have been around and established a mode of behavior that is lasting. So yep. you can't call something a new normal because that just happened. That's no. not a new normal. It's right crazy. Now, that's right. We're living in a blip, you know, and that's what's <laughs> exactly. happening now. You know, that's exactly what it is. Now, Jeffrey, um, before I get into the so many things I want to talk about with you, you have such a a wonderful background, but, and I'm going to go into where you came from and, you know, the kinds of things you've done, but I would like, there's obviously going to be a lot of people listening to this who've never heard of you. <laughs> Maybe quite a lot of them have never heard of me. What? What? <laughs> so, in a, in a, what are some of the things that you would like people to know about you, you know, before I get into all the details of who you are and where you're from? Well, I am uh, live in New York City, as I mentioned. Uh, I am a husband and a father. 
Uh, so I have all the, all the ups, downs, uh, obstacles, and clear paths to run uh, dealing with familial relationships. Uh, I am a professor. I teach at uh, Parsons School for Design, which is one of the top design schools in the world. Uh, I have a production company, as you had mentioned. Uh, and I also have a play that I wrote and I'm producing. As a matter of fact, we had a meeting about it today because we're hoping we, we actually have a theater and we are due to open in May of 21, which is now somehow seeming dangerously close. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I am engaged on a lot of different fronts in terms of the things that I'm doing. And, uh, but Throughout the week, every week, I also talk with very dear friends of mine because I think that relationships are so important. And my most of my closest friends are people that I grew up with in Akron, Ohio. Uh, and I believe there's such great value in relationships and uh, and there's different kinds of relationships which we can talk about, but yeah. those are really important to me too. So. There's my work, there's my family, there's the friendships that I have, and, and that's kind of the, the, the smorgasbord that I offer, plus all the different kinds of work that I do. Now you, you, you graduated with honors at University of Wisconsin with a degree in philosophy and psychology. Yes. You were also on the wrestling team. Yes. And then you used all that to go I mean, and this, there's a whole piece that we're not going to go in yet. We'll come back to around fashion. But then you've used all that and you've gone into film and the theater business. What the hell, man? <laughs> you can't make up your mind. <laughs> well, first of all, Dove, I'm an entrepreneur because I'm unemployable. Exactly. So, so I understand. Right. So you, you, you get that, of course. Uh-huh. And, uh, I am ultimately motivated and seduced by ideas. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate enough to figure out a way to make money with those ideas. Mm. So in terms of what I wrote about in the book, I actually live that way yeah. for better and for worse, you know, because, uh, you know, when you and I first spoke and we got into so many things, one of the things is we both agree about the, the myth of the successful entrepreneur mm -hmm. that somehow, you know, it's this beautiful picture all the time that your business is like this hockey stick graph and everything goes great. It involves a lot of struggle and it's not easy yeah. being an entrepreneur, easy to start a business, uh, harder to build it, even harder to sustain it. So the fact that I've had a independent production company for about 37 years, I'm, wow very proud of that uh and it hasn't been easy there's been a lot of joy there has been a lot of joy and there's also been a lot of difficulty now you as i said you you actually started your career though in fashion design right and you and you don't do, you didn't just do a career in it i mean you didn't just do a, a start off in it you became uh, chosen as one of the top 10 designers in the u.s before you switched over to film and video production, that seems a bit obscure. I mean, not a level of, for me, not a level of being a creative, I get that. But 
you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was, but um, a, a famous fighter years ago who said that you have to retire when you're at the top. And you got named as one of the top 10 designers and then boom, you're gone. I mean, tell us about that transition piece. Cause I think that's a hard place for people's egos to jump off is like, Oh, I can't get out now. I'm on top. Well, first of all, let me be clear. I was chosen one of the top 10 young designers in the United States. Sure. And uh, I think there were only about eight of us at the time. So it wasn't hard to be in the top 10. Uh, and you know, because back then, really, young people weren't doing startups. That just wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was unusual to be young and start a fashion business. Uh, it started like my other careers have started, kind of by accident. Mm -hmm. I had no master plan. Uh, you know, it's, I was, when I was being interviewed recently, somebody said to me, so when did you know what direction your life was going to go? And I, said, I still don't know, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. still going. And uh, it's like the Yogi Berra statement, which I really love is when you get to the fork in the road, take it. Mm. And that's kind of what my life has been like. So yeah. I started in the fashion business. I was working in a little boutique in Madison. Uh, I did the buying for it. The owner was only a few years older than myself. So, uh, you know, it was a very informal place that was cool. I mean, it was unique and it was a cool place. And I got a call from a good friend of mine, one of these friends that I don't remember not knowing him in my life. His mother and my mother grew up together. Kenny right. Merriman is his name. And he's, he graduated from school a year before me. And he said, hey, I saved up some money. Can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? So I said, well, I see the stuff we sell. I could always draw. I'll start a clothing company. He said, okay. And then he sent me a check. And that was more money than I ever had at one time. Uh, you know, five days later, I had 1500 bucks. So I, again, ignorance when you're young is blissful uh, because you don't know what you can't do. No. And, you know, so I was willing to, to take on the challenge and I established a proof of concept. I drew some things. I had women that made, uh, did alterations for the store, make shirts. I cut apart a shirt because I didn't even know how they went together. So I learned the puzzle that is a pattern that is a shirt or a jacket. Right. And uh, I put about a dozen, dozen and a half shirts in the store. They sold out in a day. Got more made. They sold out. Eventually, I uh, had a sample line put together, which was pretty quick. Within the next few weeks, strapped them on the back of my motorcycle, drove to Chicago, and sold to 15 of 18 stores I went to. And I was on my way, even though I had no idea what I was doing. So, this, no, I, that's, yeah. really, that's really interesting, Jeffrey, because one of the things I've talked about in my work is uh, that everybody's talking about this horse crap, in my opinion, um, around 10x your business. And I often will say to people, if you 10x your business, you'd be bankrupt in about five minutes because you couldn't scale. You're not ready for that. But you actually did that with this, you know, you went to Chicago, sold to all these stores, but you were not ready for that, surely. 
No, I wasn't. As a matter of fact, to show you how unready I was, uh, I went to the Chicago Merchandise Mart to buy fabrics. And, you know, I figured out how many, you know, I figured out the math to figure out how much I needed. Mm. What I had learned, first of all, was when I went into a store and I saw fabric on the bolt, I thought that was wholesale because it hadn't been made into anything yet. When I realized that wasn't the case, I looked at who the fabric came from and tracked down a Chicago office because that was near Madison. So I could motorcycle into Chicago. At that time, I had hair and it was down to here. And uh, do you have any pictures? <laughs> uh, not close by, but I. Oh, but damn. I <laughs> uh, and what was funny is a lot of the salespeople wouldn't take meetings with me. I had made the meeting in advance. When I showed up, they were sorry, but uh, yeah, I was wearing a motorcycle jacket and jeans and had long hair and a beard. They didn't want anything to do with me. And you know, when they spoke to me on the phone, they didn't know what I looked like. No. And so, you know, that's an interesting thing in and of itself, right? You know, yeah. that you are judged by your appearance. Absolutely. But there were some nice people and there were some nice people who actually found it interesting and kind of novel that this young kid, me, was starting a business. And one of the salesmen said to me, all right, so you're buying a few thousand yards of fabric. Where do you want to ship? Do you have a contractor? And I said, a contractor? I said, yeah, do you have a contractor? And I said, I'm not sure. What is a contractor? <laughs> and he said, somebody who's going to manufacture your clothing. And I said, not yet, no. He said, wow. He said, and he goes over his desk, flips through his Rolodex, and he says, here's a guy you should meet. He can help you out. He's a good man. And he was a good man. And that's how I got started. So I was constantly meeting people, talking to people, questioning and trying to learn. One of the things I learned that there's some really great people out there who were very generous and will share their wisdom and ideas. And there's other people that are going to screw you and take yeah. advantage of your ignorance. Uh, and so then another survival skill is kind of vetting the people that you do business with and figuring out sort of the what's what. But that's so, what you were just saying a few minutes ago. I mean, that's a, a thing that one of the things that I know, you know, I grew up very poor um, and I got fed a lot of bias about wealthy people. Most of it was nonsense. And one of the things I learned is that actually people who are genuinely, genuinely very successful. And by that, I don't mean they have a ton of money. They likely do, but it's not always the case are extraordinarily generous. The people who are pretending to be very successful are not. They're usually assholes. So it's really fascinating to me because those people will, are usually very happy to help you out, find a way to, to add value to you. Um, but the skill set on the other side is what you were talking about, which is that I had to learn as I went out in the world from where I was from, because you know, like you, I looked different than everybody around me. I dressed differently. I was a fashion guy. I was in all that world. That's part of where, where I, there's so many crossovers for us. Um, but aside from all that, um, I also was from Northern England. And when I went South, that was like, you know, I might as well have been 
from the south of the US going north, you know, I mean, it just was like, or, you know, I mean, it's, it just was like a black white thing. That race thing is, is a class thing in the UK. And the fact that, I mean, obviously I didn't speak the way I speak now, but as a kid, I had a very strong Northern accent and that accent immediately got me dismissed immediately, you know? And so you got the advantage of a phone call and you could be heard. I didn't even get that advantage. So one of the skills I had to learn like you was how to work out quickly. This person's a dick. This person's great. And how, the, how many people would just, it didn't matter. They just wanted to help you and serve you. And I think that that is a great skill that you, I don't know if you can learn that for, if you're born into the silver spoon. I think you can only learn that if you come up. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, there are people, regardless of their means, who are generous of spirit. Of course. And those are the people that will help you. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't found any delineation that I can generalize about. But I'll, I'll tell you a quick story that, that it is to your point. Uh, one of the greatest cinematographers of all time was a man named Vilmos Zygmunt. I think he was nominated for more Academy Awards than anybody. He, he shot uh, E.T. Uh, I mean, he, I'm sorry, he shot Close Encounters. Mm. Uh, he shot Deliverance, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And he, he was astounding. And mm. I always loved his work. So first I wanted to check him out because I was doing some commercials and I wanted to use him. Mm -hmm. And I called Camera Service Center, a place in New York that rents cameras, because I knew some of the guys there had worked with Vilmos. And uh, I said, uh, so tell me what Vilmos is like. And they said, he's a fucking legend. Why are you asking? And I said, because if he's an asshole, I'll hire a legend who isn't. Mm -hmm. Well, I talked to Vilmos, and we really hit it off. I hired him telling him that uh, I would give him the Academy Award for best actor because he's certainly been successful in fooling me if I didn't really enjoy working with him. I loved working with him. One of the cinematographers who had worked with me before, a young guy, idolized Vilmos. And so I arranged for me to introduce him to Vilmos because it was like meeting his idol. And Vilmos talked to him and showed him a few things. And it was really nice, really nice. Beautiful. And afterwards, I said to Vilmos, that was so kind of you. Jay referred to you as a master. And you took the time to show this starstruck young person some of the ropes and some of the tricks that you do in business. Just sharing your secrets is incredible. And Vilmos's answer was, Masters have no secrets. Oh. And I thought that was so oh. fabulous. I thought that was so fabulous. You know, and I have met very wealthy people who are massively insecure and wouldn't give you the time of day if they thought somehow that that affected them negatively. And other people of no means who will do what they can to help you. So I think it's more the quality of the person, how they were raised and how they accumulated their wealth and eventually what their own self-image and self-esteem is. Well, I couldn't agree more. I definitely think it's to do with, with the self-worth of that individual. Um, 
but I, I was talking about it from the bias I'd been given, which was that rich mm-hmm. people are all a-holes and, they, and they're just not. I mean, that, right. that, as I've always said, money won't solve all your problems, but neither will being broke, right? So the, the truth of the matter is that I, I love what Oprah said. Money doesn't change you. It magnifies you. Mm-hmm. Whatever you are, if you're a douche, you're just a bigger douche with money, <laughs> right? If you're, if you're generous, you're just more generous with money. It's, it's, you know, I think it's a great magnifier. And I think that in many ways, uh, the pandemic has been that. It's been a magnifier. I, I've said in, in my trainings that the pandemic and the remote world and all those things that have come out of it haven't changed leadership. They've magnified it. If you are a command and control, top-down, micromanaging idiot, you just got a million times worse with remote work. Right. And if you're somebody who trusts the people you work with and you have a great culture, you just trust them more. You go, okay, I know you can handle this. That's fine. And you support them in any way they can. And so I think that the crisis, and I've said this before, it's part of my, my rhetoric, is that the trials, tribulations, and crises of life either magnify and refine you or they define you. Mm-hmm. And for sadly, many people, they define them and they, they hold on to this lifetime of resentment about whatever shit happened, as opposed to saying, you know what, that, re- that was horrible, but it really rubbed the grits off and show- let the diamond shine. And that's a, that's a really interesting piece. We're going to take, take our first break and we're going to come back in a minute because this is, we got so many great places to go. There's, there's fashion, there's movies, there's production, there's your play. I want to talk about that and, and the whole thing around that and the, the ties. Like I said, there are so many crossover lines between the two of us, Jeffrey. I'm really excited to dive into that and, and where all that can go. And I hope for you, dear listener, you'll stay with us and come back for part two of my amazing interview, this binge-worthy interview with Jeffrey Madoff. Now, again, amazing man doing amazing things. You want to find out more about him, go to madoffproductions.com or you can go to acreativecareer.com. I did say Madoff right, right? You did. Okay, good. All right. And we'll be back in just a few. 